All right. Hello. Welcome to the Holy Ruckus Podcast, episode 61. Uh, let's talk about racism. This was a podcast that we recorded back in early July when everything was kind of blowing up on your mini feed and all this talk um, among uh, ourselves and among our friends and family and even strangers about the problem of racism in this country. And I thought, and uh, our people at the Holy Ruckus, Ogechi, Father Pat, we thought, what better way to kind of listen and hear people's takes, but also to engage in conversations, not to particularly solve anything, but to just kind of have an open form of discussion from people from different walks of life. So that's what we attempted to do with this two-part series on episode 61 and 62. So we're excited to have you listen to this first part. Episode 61, let's talk about racism and what it means to be an ally. Thanks so much for listening. We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. Why were you made? I was made to be happy. The way to be happy is to know truth and to love goodness. In other words, I am made for God. Pero quiero lío en las dioses. Quiero que se salga afuera. You are now listening to the Holy Ruckus Podcast. Go ahead, let's go around. Let's meet the panel. Uh, go for it. Um, let's go with the young lady first. My name is Ogechi. I live here in Maryland, and I'm one of the content creators for the Holy Ruckus, and I will be your moderator this evening. Awesome, awesome. Uh, let's go over to, uh, let's, let's do non-clergy first. Uh, let's, let's go to Gamer. Go ahead. Go ahead, the, my man with the headphones. All right. How y'all doing? My name is Brandon. I am a first responder here. And I know there's a lot going on right now, and I'm here to at least give my point of view, give the the feelings that I'm feeling right now, and hopefully it can, and, and excuse me, what are, I'm trying to figure out the word to say to you guys, but hopefully <laughs> you can feel what I feel, basically, because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of hate going on towards first responders, and believe me, there are good first responders out there, all right? So I'm Brandon. I'm here on that behalf. Thank you. Thank you, Officer Brandon. Uh, let's go with, um, oh, and then Brandon, I, I love your, I love your goatee. I love the whole thing, the facial hair. So do me a favor. Can you slide back a little bit so everybody can see it? Oh yeah. Look at that. Uh, and then you, you're married, right? You're married. You got kids. How, how long have you been married? How many little ones? Uh, this year I've been married now nine years. We have a total of four kids, three on earth and one in heaven. Beautiful man. Thank you so much for, for bringing in, bringing in. Hi, uh, Father Abuka. Go ahead. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Father Abuka um, from Holy Redeemer in Kensington. And I think um, I'm here because I'm one of the panel members, I believe. So I'm just here to, um, to be able to I, perhaps look at things on the spiritual side as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Father Pat, you don't have to get too close because we know what you look like. You got a you got a face made for radio. Exactly, and you keep <laughs> insisting on this video content. Oh my gosh! Do you want to let him clown you, Father Pat? You have a sweet beard, Father Pat. I appreciate the beard. Thank you. Thank you. Get Father Pat a cake. They should call it Father Patches. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, 
Josh. Oh, right. hold on, honey. I am clean shaven today. Go ahead, Father Pat. My bad. Oh, not at all. So I am um, so so privileged to be doing. Um, uh, really, this is like what our third, you know, third episode together. Fourth, fourth, episode? fourth, fourth. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> um, and um, I'm here to also uh, share, you know, um, my spiritual uh, perspective, um, as well as to um, challenge, um, you know, the, the notion that, uh, you know, certain people, um, you know, aren't qualified to offer, you know, feedback or opinion. We're kind of, you know, workshopping together the notion that everybody's got to, you know, just dive right in, you know, and risk a lot by, by making that move, you know, by entering the conversation. We're already, you know, we're already uh, shedding part of, you know, ourselves behind. So you might as well go in both feet and, you know, everybody has something to say on, on the subject. So. Absolutely. And not only do you offer a spiritual take, Father, but I had to find one white guy to throw in there for this multicultural panel. So thank you for being that guy. Anyway. Right. And you can't get more, you know, Irish white than Patrick McMullen. There you go. Potato chips. <laughs> no chips today. No sweet tea, Father. No, I'm rocking the, the coffee because, you know, Father Patty's starting to wane on the energy level a little bit at this hour. So I'm rocking my Catholic University mug. There you go. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, and, and then once again, lastly, uh, my name is Josh, and uh, I'm a, one of the founders of the Holy Ruckus and El Santo Leo. That's right. We went in Spanish, too. And, uh, yeah, we do this weekly. And uh, thanks so much for, for watching and listening. Let's get started. Um, Let's start it up with a little prayer. Get you, why don't you take us on there? And she's going to uh, facilitate and moderate this thing. Hi, everybody. Again, my name is Ogechi. I thought I would start it off with a scriptural context just to give a framework for today. Today, we're talking mostly about what it means to be an ally and what that looks like with inside and outside of the church. And um, as we are all church-going people, I wanted to start with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I'll read that quickly for you and then move on to some of the questions for our panelists. Um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit internal, eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You must you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, 
and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so if you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, we see a lot of pieces that play into this topic of allyship. The example, we see an example of what it means to be an ally, in this case, someone that is um, physically impaired. And we see how that extends our call to be allies and to reach out and love our neighbors um, today, especially in this difficult time. Um, before we get into the questions, I kind of want kind of a, I'm a lecture of my chair, so I want to break down some of the points that spoke out to me as it reflects to my experience this week and really just my experience of having people choose whether or not they should, having people act as allies on my behalf as a black person in America. Um, when the person of the law is asking, and who is my neighbor, it, struck, it strikes me because he wants to justify himself. And I've, I've experienced a lot of people who are well-meaning church-going people. They send their kids to Catholic school, they attend mass and the sacraments regularly, but they somehow want to put a boundary around what it truly means to act as a neighbor. And asking who is my neighbor means who is worthy of that love? Who should I extend myself to? And where can I end that action of love? And when it comes to being an ally, that's not the question that we should be asking. Everybody deserves that extension of neighbor, that definition of neighbor. Otherwise, we're making ourselves too comfortable and we're not doing the work we're called to do. Um, the other point in this reading that really touched me is that this person uses his physical presence. He's physically there and we've seen this acting out in people that might physically help other people in experiencing racism. We see him use his monetary gifts, so we see it in people donating to causes um, that support um, preventing injustice. And then we also see him following up with that person. Allyship is not something that's just a one-time thing. It's a repeated action, and it should be lifetime. Um, so as we keep that in mind and keep this parable in mind, my first question is, for those that are in the panel, what does it mean to be an ally for justice generally to you? Or clap it. <laughs> yeah. Use your emoticons or just start speaking. <laughs> so the question is, what does it mean to be an ally uh, in in this time for you? What does it mean to be like based on what uh, okay you said? Okay, you can run it back. Uh, it means like uh, an ally is. Oh. So I don't want to define what it means to be an ally from this the definition. I have tons of definitions in front of me. I'm curious to know what you think generally an ally is. Like in your experience, how have people shown up as an ally? What if you were to be an ally? Because we as Blacks are not you, Father Pat, but as a Black American, you have the role of being an ally. You can be an ally for someone that's disabled, ally of any other discriminated um, demographic. So what does it mean to be an ally to you? And then I can go over the actual like book definition. We can start with uh, Father Buka. Go ahead. Well, I think for me, uh, to be an ally, you know, if, you know, again, depending on the circumstances, right? So 
to be an ally is to be in solidarity with somebody, okay? Um, let's say the person is facing injustice. To be an ally to that person is to come to the person's aid and also help the person, you know, obtain justice if the person is still being oppressed. To be an ally also to, you know, uh, uh, you know, and it can also be to 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 suffer with somebody, you know, to to empathize with somebody, to 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 relate to the best of your ability with somebody. But to be a true ally, one have to also do a self-examination to know whether I am part of the cause of somebody's injustice, you know, because. I can claim to be an ally when on the other side, I'm causing injustice to somebody else or to a different kind of group. In that way, I'm not being a true ally. So there's, to be an ally also involves this self-examination. And injustice can be both for a victim of um, uh, a particular situation, whether it's violence or not, or maybe for a perpetrator who perhaps the punishment that has been meted to the perpetrator is way beyond what justice demands. I think to be an ally is also to be able to say, ah, no, that's too much for this particular person and to stand in solidarity with that person as well. That's amazing, Father Buka. I, I really like that you talked about the self-examination part um, because some people, that's their first step, right? They may not know the words or the tool, have the tools in how to speak or act, but we are all capable of examining ourselves and examining our role in the structure, especially as it relates to racism, but even in other discriminated groups. Um, that self-examination also takes a lot of humility, right? And where else do we do this self-examination? This isn't a pop place for the priest, but we do this before we do confession, right? Before we humbly bring ourselves up to God, we self we do a self-examination, recognizing according to the law that God has placed before us, have we done these great commandments? Have we um, loved God with all our hearts? Have we been a good neighbor? And what have we done to disrupt the relationships that we have with people close to us, but even people that are outside of our circle? And if we've done anything, we confess that to God and we ask for the strength and the gifts from the Holy Spirit to do better. And so the first step of reconciliation as a sacrament is self-examination. So that first step in reconciliation as a people should be self-examination. So I'm really happy that you bring that up. Um, Officer Brandon, do you have anything that you'd like to add? Yeah, I thought about some other things the other day. The other day on social media, I posted the golden rule and it got over 5,000 views within a couple of minutes. And most people don't know that the golden rule actually comes from Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. And I wrote it down, but it's written many ways. Like I tried to Google it right before I got on, right? It's written many ways. But the way that I posted it, it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I live by that. I live by that as a man. I live by that as an officer when I go to work. I treat people with respect. And the amount of respect I treat them with is the amount of respect they give me back. You know, sometimes you got to go outside your comfort zone. Like the other day, someone said to me, thank you for your service. That meant a lot. 
that meant a lot to me because a lot of police officers are getting categorized into this negativity of the being judged off the character of one person, one individual who did something wrong. Now, the other officers on scene, they failed to act. One of the main things we do as first responders is we protect life. We protect life. And there's been many times at work where I had to stand for justice and be the ally for justice where I saw one of my coworkers doing something that was inappropriate or using too much force. And I stepped in and I said something to them. Some people would say, well, you know, that's the gift of the gab. That's verbal judo. That's kind of the kind of slangs we use, verbal judo, gift of the gab. But it's also just about being right. You have to protect those who are weak. You have to protect those who are in danger. And it's so unfortunate right now that that one character by that one officer, now it's like all police officers are bad. You know, growing up as an African-American, growing up as a black, I was discriminated against a lot by police officers. I was discriminated a lot when I was growing up. I've seen a lot of racist stuff when I was growing up. But my mother always told me to make sure that you listen to what they say. I might not like what they did to me, but my mom told me to listen to what they say, do what they tell you to do. And all that anger and frustration I felt when I was growing up, I turned it to myself. I got educated. I went to college. And now I'm an actual police officer. I'm a first responder now. I get to make that difference that I didn't get to see when I was growing up. To me, that's being that justice. That's being that ally for justice. It's educating yourself and not being so judgmental of other people. That's how I feel. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your um, viewpoint. I really do appreciate it. I do want to challenge you, though, that um, I really feel like, and I'm speaking for myself, I have to be honest, I had a difficult time when Josh was like, this is your officer on this panel. I was just like, uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm never someone that's not going to be honest, and this is what this is about. I don't have beef with you personally, because obviously I don't know you, but I still feel like it wasn't just one officer. There's, count, like, there's countless, countless um, officers and unfortunately, for every one of you, there's hundreds others in different areas, depending on where you live, that you don't get to see you. Like you said, when you were growing up, you had officers treat, treat you, and luckily, thanks be to God, that didn't result in anything of harm to you. But unfortunately, because I think in this country, we have such a great... Um, we have such a great power in social media, our eyes are being opened more and more. And if it means that there is anger towards officers, it doesn't mean that we're saying all officers are bad. It just means that we're calling them now to a higher standard and awareness that they may have been able to avoid. Um, I'm happy that people respect you and, and thank you for your job. And I'm happy that you call out people that use excessive force, but that's your, that's your job. Your job is to do the right thing by the law. I'm, I'm wondering, this is kind of switching around my questions, thanks a lot, but <laughs> um, that's fine. This is thanks, a, Brandon. Way to, way to switch it up, but um, as an officer, um, because you brought it up, has there been a situation for you that goes beyond your normal protect and serve? So you're talking about protecting life. That's the bare minimum. Even if someone else that's on the force with you isn't doing that, to be able to call someone out for me is the bare mineral, I, minimal. It's like a doctor actually doing a surgery for someone if another doctor doesn't want to do it. So has there been a, a position that you've been put in where you have to go beyond? So outside of something that's comfortable for you, I don't know how long you've been on the course, if it's like 
a rank situation. I'm not, I actually used to work in law enforcement myself, fun fact. And I had, I had a hard time reconciling with that, being in that position. I worked for the correctional system. So that's like a very um, interesting dynamic and interesting place to work for a couple years. And I came home realizing that I didn't put people in jail as an officer, was it a judge or anything like that, but I helped hire those people that sometimes didn't do a good job at their job. And I had to reconcile that and I couldn't. And so I had to switch positions, but in that position, I was the, the only voice that would try to speak above my, way above my pay grade to make a change. But that was something that I was willing to do and it actually cost me my job. It cost me the ability to renew my contract and I would do it again. So has there been a position where you'd have to put yourself on the line in terms of comfort, livelihood in your job? Sorry, it's a long-winded question, but take your time if you need it. Oh, oh believe me, I'll prepare tonight. I have my notes. Good. I, I wrote my notes. What you, don't know about, what you don't know about Officer Brandon is he's long-winded too. Okay, so strap in. We're going to lose listeners and viewers like that. No, just kidding. Go ahead, Father. Uh, officer, go for it. So here's the thing. Like, sometimes I go off on, on wild tangents. So tonight is not a wild tangent. I had to jot down some notes. So to answer your question, I have my, my notes that I took, and it answers it perfectly. Here's your thing. So being Catholic, also as being an officer, a black officer, when I'm at work, I don't walk around with a cross hanging around for my neck, trying to glorify my faith. This is me. This is me. I'm Catholic. Hey, look at me. Look at me. But I do speak to people privately if I see they're hurting. If I see someone's a little bit down, if I see someone's a little bit emotional, I pull them in the side and say, hey, are you okay? Is there anything you want to talk about? You don't have to tell me person, but you know what? Guess what? I'll pray for you. You don't have to tell me anything that's going on with you right now, but I'll pray for you. There's been people that I reached out to on social media who I've never met, never met in my entire life, never saw them. And I pray for them. I pray for them every day before I go into work. I say the rosary. That 30 minutes it takes me to get to work. I say the rosary every single day I go to work. And I'm praying for so many people who I've never met. I'm praying for people who I've met. But, you know, here's the thing. Also going outside of my, my comfort zone. A lot of people don't realize that I prevented five suicides. Five suicides in my entire career. I've been in law enforcement now for 14 and a half years. And to those who have the thought of committing suicide. And even now those who are confused, there's a lot of confusion going on right now with these riders. They, I feel like they don't know why they're riding. They're just riding for, to, to go with the crowd. So they're confused. They're listening to one voice, but they should be listening to their own voice. So there's a lot of confusion going on. So between the people who wanted to commit, commit suicide, between those people who are confused, there's three words that I say to these people. And I said every single time, God loves you. I don't even know this person, but I say that to them. And the person who's thinking about committing suicide, they look at me. When they look at me, that means I got their attention. I can't tell you every single word that I say after that, because I believe sometimes in that presence, in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes upon me. And everything after that, it goes kind of blank, but I actually end up reaching that person. So by telling someone that God loves you, they feel like I'm not alone. Most of these people feel like they're alone right now and they're confused, they feel like they're alone, and they're hurting. I cannot help or I cannot control someone's anger. I cannot help that, that hurt that they're feeling, but I can tell you what, I can tell them that God loves them. And you know what? God loves all. He loves all. Of course, God gave us that free will. 
We all know that. He gave us that free will. Some people are even asking me, why is God letting this happen? Why is this happening right now? We have free will. We have free will. He gave us that free will. So those are some of the times I went out of my comfort zone. And I'm telling you, it's very emotional. It's very, um, it's like an adrenaline rush. It really is like an adrenaline rush. Every time I thought preventing somebody from committing suicide, I called my wife and I called my priest because I needed to calm myself back down because it's very emotional knowing that you just saved someone's life. It doesn't make the news. I don't get an award for it, but I still pray for those people. I have no idea what they do after that. And they thank me and I thank them. And I tell them that God loves them and someone's here for them. I tell them that God put me here for a reason. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, what do you think are some barriers to being an ally to black oh, Catholics? And this is actually, oh, sorry. So Father Pat, real quick, we can't forget about. Oh, so sorry, Father Pat. Uh, <laughs> Would you like to share I mean, we what it means to be an ally for you? And then maybe move on to that second question. What do you think okay, yeah, um, yeah. some barriers might be for you as a white Catholic or a white person, yeah. a white male in America, what might be the barrier for you to being an ally or challenges that you might face? Wow. Um, so I can kind of walk the line between the two questions and try and like, you know, blend them together in my response. Yeah. Um, I think that um, some of the barriers, you know, uh, are the fact that a lot of us really, really want to highlight and only look at the, the things we hold in common and the similarities, um, by which I mean, like, we, we share a common faith, you know, we share belief in Jesus Christ, we share human nature, we share concupiscence, unfortunately, you know, we share the, the, the fallen part of us that, like, still sees, like, you know, the apple as tantalizing, you know, sin as delectable, and, uh, you know, we share a lot of things in common. And then I think that becomes a barrier when it erases distinction, when it erases the, the differences in experience, in, in history, in the way it like hits our consciousness. So I find that uh, innately in myself, um, there's this, this like natural desire to just like, let's, let's just, you know, focus on what makes us the same and celebrate the, our sameness, right? And then yeah. I find, I have found that that can work against me if it means like just completely blowing right past also the things that were, are, are currently different and will always be different, you know? And, um, and, and it, you know, just the, the fact that like that can be celebrated in its own way. Um, so for example, uh, like it, it makes perfect sense, especially to, um, you know, a bunch of, uh, <laughs> a bunch of seminarians like sitting around, you know, and cracking jokes and, you know, not so long ago, I was just still a seminarian, you know, and we, we would make tons and tons of jokes, many of them kind of like dicey about like Irish Catholics and Italian Catholics and Polish Catholics you know, but there's also differences, you know, of, of the Nigerian Catholic experience and the Trinidadian, you know, Catholic experience and, um, and or just being of, you know, different ethnicities. And so, like, there's there's a, definitely a fear factor 
that I think especially has to come out in that examination that uh, Father Evica um, was sharing with us and something that like I, I still wanna, I still, I want, I wanna see more from the church about that specifically, about how to examine our consciences over an idea, an idea like racial bias. Um, for us to like recognize that in, in a crowd full of white folk, it's a lot easier to just say like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna make waves. We're just going to like keep it placid and we're going to talk about all the things that that make us the same and celebrate ourselves. And it's almost like, you know, the, the effect, I think, becomes then negating the problem. You know, you don't look at, uh, you don't look at, like, what difficulties there still are. Um, because you want to uphold, like, you know, the the achievements. And, and I think it, it becomes, like, a very common uh, line or thread, if you will, today to say, like, are you kidding me like especially in, in like a conservative mentality of which a lot of our catholics hold those political views a lot of catholics um self-identify of on the conservative side of the spectrum and so they you know you'll hear the promotion of this argument that we've come so far you know the voting rights act you know uh, the equality act the you know all of these political achievements you know we sit at the same um diner uh chairs we sit we drink from the same fountains we go to the same schools we say all of these things all of these accomplishments and how far we've come and then use that as like well therefore and then the conclusion that we draw from that is like how can you possibly contend that you know racism still exists or still it you know has force or is still powerful today um and i'm i'm of the mindset or like you know more and more convinced that it's because we just don't want to see, <laughs> we just don't want to see any distinction left. We've swung so far in this direction of just try and make it all the same. And, and like, we, of course we experience church the same, but that's not even true, right? <laughs> like that's not yeah. true of like white churches. It's just not true of the Catholic church. You know, it's not the way we worship. Like I, I've only been to Our Lady, Our Lady of Vietnam like once in my life, but it was very clear that, you know, they're worshiping in a way that St. Patrick's would not know what to do with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I think that's um, a huge barrier. And I, I feel like being an ally is appreciating distinction, appreciating difference and learning about someone, how the word of God hits them differently, how, um, you know, uh, a word of hate hits them differently. Um, I, I mean, I agree with all of your points. One of my favorite soon-to-be saints is Sister Thea Bowman. And um, if you don't know anything about her, google.com, look her up and read books about her. But um, Sister Thea Bowman was very vocal. Um, she was a Black Catholic um, nun. She's one of the only in her order at the time. And she was very boldly outspoken amongst other Catholics, amongst bishops, about the need to respect the diversity of Black Catholics. We are united in our faith, in the practice of the sacraments, but we, there are, is a diversity and that kind of to ignore that is to ignore the uniqueness and richness. And she has a quote, I couldn't pull it up quickly, but she has a quote about 
flowers in a garden, right? We don't just like want to blend the roses and lilies and peonies and all of them together. Each flower has beauty. Each flower attracts different animals. It provides something different to the ecosystem. And so in respecting the individuality of each flower, we are still able to enjoy the beauty of that garden and to share in the soil of the, that the roots that each flower has. And that's the same thing about diversity. Um, I think some of the issues that I've seen personally and someone else can share is that um, sometimes people hide behind their faith and use that as kind of a shield to say that I go to mass, like I said earlier, I go to mass and I donate to the, the food drive, the pantry, and I send my kids and we talk about like, love your neighbor as yourself, yada, yada, yada. But, and then it stops there and they're fine. But I think, and I would challenge people that that's a lukewarm mentality of um, social justice. And social justice is so Catholic. It has nothing to do with politics to me. It's literally, when we say Catholic social teaching and Catholic social action, action is required. Um, Christ has called us, we just celebrated Pentecost. We're called to set the world ablaze. The podcast is named Holy Ruckus. A ruckus isn't like a, a ruckus is like a ruckus. It's loud yeah, yeah. and it demands it's attention and it demands action and it demands discomfort. If you've ever heard of t uh, some kid trying to play the like clarinet or whatever, it's discomforting, but they're making, they're, they're loud, they're bold with it, and they're really trying to learn. And I think what people, at least in the church that I've seen, and it's been quite disheartening, um, diving into the bellows and some of the comments and some of these groups to watch people rationalize in action or to dismiss what I would find to be rightful anger, sadness, dis disillusionment, all of those emotions are valid. And to, to say like someone that is angry, someone that is protesting, they don't know what they're doing or they're just like following the media or whatever. I know what I'm doing. I'm a fully educated person, whether I'm a doctor or a janitor, whether I go to church every Sunday and all and every single day of the week, or I just am a holly lily, I have value in the church and my voice has value in the church. And when you look at statistically and you look at the number of people leaving the Catholic Church, a lot of them are minorities. And I think a lot of this has to do with the lack of validity of our identity as Black Catholics and the lack of um, action or the slowness of action of the church. Um, so those are, I mean, those are my thoughts. If someone has like anything else to add, I would like it, but I think it, it comes down to hiding behind faith, lukewarmness, which we're not called to be in our faith journey. So why do that in, in terms of social justice and a fear of maybe not knowing what you're supposed to do. So. Um, we can move on to the next question and maybe give people. Hold fast, hold fast, because I want to okay. affirm that. I want to affirm that. I don't know if I can give the pluses or the. I want to clap it up, snap it up for you. So great job. My my thing is also is that uh, as a Latino, as a Latino Catholic, there seems to be, for, at least for me, like this sense of like, well, well, of course I'm an ally. Well, of course I'm not racist, right? Oh. But that's a blindness. That's a complacency to not act as well. And um, there'll be another discussion, another podcast episode relating to racism and Latino culture in response to this, because it opens up a lot of things, right? A lot of things that I grew up on. But 
um, sticking with me and my experience, um, it's so easy and it's deadly. And, and I would say potentially it's very sinful, this idea of like looking at your life and not examining the conscience is what you're saying. Like I can look at my life on the surface level very superficially and say, my boys are, my boys are black. My, my, my best friend's black. My, my godson's black. My whatever, whatever. I have this, I have that. Like I have all these assets or pieces and these are people that check off the box for me. So of course no one's going to, no one's going to call me out. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, I know black priests. I don't like, but well, you no. have to call yourself out. Exactly. And, and, and that needs to, and that needs to happen. I think that's what's happening. And, um, and it's, it's not enough to just say, well, I work with someone. That's not compassion. That's uh-huh. not, right. Being the person that they work with, I can say from experience, there mm-hmm. are a lot of people that like to use my name as their black coworker, <laughs> friend, or whatever. Before they butcher your name. About, they yeah, butcher your name first. To ask about the ravens or whatever does not mean that we're friends. It does not mean that mm-hmm. <laughs> you're able to have we a conversation with me either. And I think that's challenge. Yeah. I... I challenged a lot of my coworkers. So, I challenged my best friends. And, and this was happening. And there were so many people that were angry. And there's, I, I just found myself being triggered multiple times because I've come across so many situations where I have been, I could have been Breonna Taylor. I could have been one of the other women. And I'm just like, by the grace of God, lucked out in that situation. And so that is an emotional toll. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, how many friends actually reached out to see how it was doing? My best friends did it, and I had to call them out. I was like, y'all dropped the ball. You didn't reach out. Mm-hmm. My coworkers that did reach out, they realized that they dropped the ball, and that's fine. But even something as simple as, how are you doing? Right. I know this isn't, this isn't you, but how are you doing? Right. Um, I really am happy you talked about how, even though you are in a minority group, that doesn't excuse us from having um, biases. And that's the same for me. I could have biases like... Um, for example, a lot, I had to call out some people that were black talking about Asian Americans because of the whole coronavirus situation and saying derogatory things about Asian Americans. And the argument was, well, I'm black. I can't be like prejudiced. Yes, literally you can. <laughs> literally the definition of prejudice. And so we, are, we have to be willing to not just as an ally, check other people and speak up for other people, but we have to be willing to accept being checked ourselves or be brave enough, like you're saying, Father Buka, to do that self-reflection and um, correct ourselves if we need to. Go ahead. Do we get something for the, um, a question for the priest and kind of... Yes. So Father Buka, um, I understand you're a priest at, in Kensington. If, I don't know if you're listening from not Maryland, but Kensington is a predominantly white neighborhood. And it's a neighborhood priest, so there's typically not the most diversity in that parish. And so as a clergy member, how do you balance um, a parish that is, is or isn't diverse and use your platform to highlight specific injustices, whether it's racial injustice or immigration um, reform needs? And how do you um, navigate being like the Black priest in your parish? Well, I think for me, first of all, I, when I came to the parish, I saw myself first as a priest, not a, not a black priest, a priest. 
because that's what I, I, I was. My, the bishop sent me to Kensington, not for me to be a black priest, but for me to yeah. be a priest in, in Kensington. And that's how I look at myself when I minister to the people here. I don't, think, I don't care about you know, what I look like. I'm just a priest because that's my assignment. Um, but I think to any, um, any matter that occurs on a physical level, there's always a spiritual aspect to it. You know, and you, you look at the scripture, you know, when Isaiah and Jeremiah, we are telling the people about all the injustices that was going on. Underneath that is he's telling them about the spiritual idolatry that they are practicing, you know. And I think for me, in, in pointing out certain things in, that is going on in our world, it's always important to look at the spiritual aspect of it, which it's when, when we allow ourselves to be taken over by the, by the snares of the enemy, then we can do much more. Hatred is one of the snares of the enemy. I don't care who you are, I don't care how you look. Hatred is a big snare of the enemy. And once he gets you into that you know, cage of hatred, he can turn you into his puppet and use you to do anything he wants. You know, so for me as a priest, it's always important to speak to the spiritual aspect of this. And when you when I hear confession, I always like to go to that part, the spiritual aspect of this, to point to people and say, This is the enemy working. And so the earlier I realize that is the enemy taking advantage of me, the better for me to actually come out of the snare of the enemy. And when even it comes to you know, racism, that's why the self-examination is important. How has the enemy blocked my heart for me not to see, you know, maybe that I'm directly part of an injustice or indirectly part of an injustice? You know, so that's, that's there. And as a priest, I have to speak there to that also. Because if I speak only on the physical level, anybody can do that. Yes. But as a priest, I have to go to the spiritual aspect of it. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. Did anyone else want to share? Father? I, I, I mean, I like... I like having my feathers ruffled a little bit, you know, like I, I have a, a history of arguing, ask anybody in my family. Um, I, you know, I definitely kind of want to, you know, push back on, you know, ideas that, um, that aren't challenging. Cause I think, you know, at the heart of Christianity is something really, really dissettling, really, really disquieting like that, you know, you will, you have to change this one thing in your life everything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the demand of faith is not, it's not a safe notion. It's not like, um, oh. like this topic, I think is one that, especially in the conservative mindset, um, is one that is very easy to, you know, write myself a get out of jail free card or a hall pass. And just like, it, it's a quick gate check. It's a quick, like, you know, bifurcation am i aren't i mm, i'm not you know for any of the reasons previously mentioned because you know oh my you know sister dated that one guy and i i just thought he was you know so great and whatever you know so it, it becomes like this very easy notion um to completely pass up um there there's no 
depth to it. There's no ruffling of the feathers. There, there's no challenge because there's no nuance. You know, I think it's become like heavily, a heavily bifurcated examination of like, am I, aren't I, instead of the, the possibilities of like, is there, is there a spectrum involved? Like, are there deg degrees of bias? You know, is, is there like a possibility that in acknowledging that I have, you know, certain implicit ideas or fears, especially fear, because, you know, Father Epica touched on like the touch word, like <laughs> the most like um, dominating force when it comes to like the enemy dragging, just dragging this whole thing down and turning brother against brother it's so there's so much fear there's so much fear around it and and especially in that conservative mindset it's like i cannot possibly risk what it takes to acknowledge any kind of bias or whatever on any kind of spectrum or otherwise and therefore i, I am not i am not i can't possibly be what you what you are espousing you know um is possible I think, you know, if, if we approach it in more of like uh, a, a like with more of that nuance and a degree of like getting to the heart and the root of these things as being fear-based and tools of the enemy, you know, turning brother against brother or more accurately, my idea of my brother, like what I think he represents, what I think he threatens me about you know what i am worried about losing in myself and as like a totally innocuous kind of example um or i think innocuous i don't know um when father Ebuka and i studied spanish together in guatemala there were so many times like where i was like pushed to the edge of my comfort in terms of like no most of the time in most of my life I have felt very secure in my intelligence, you know, in, in to the degree that I have felt like I can express myself accurately. I can, you know, reach for the word that I want to say and I can make sense. And now that's taken away, that's stripped away. And I don't have the same ability to communicate eloquently or in an educated way. I'm using like the, like the simplest phrases like, Yo estudié en la universidad, you know, en Nueva York, and I'm not like coming across with that same representation of myself that I wish. So then in comes this thought of like, oh, I hate it here. I hate this language. I hate, I hate, you know, the fact that I have to do this, right? But scratching away just a little bit at that surface reveals that like, I don't actually hate those things. I hate feeling dumb. <laughs> I hate feeling less intelligent. I hate feeling, you know, just small, you know, and, and those are very universal kinds of feelings, you know. Um, I, I hate feeling like I am not good enough, you know, and any, like, that, that's the fruit of prayer right there, right, that taking that in honest reflection to the Lord, it refutes the lie, you know, it refutes the lie because it definitely wants to grab onto something and be like, this is dumb. I don't like being here. I don't, you know, I don't like this. I don't like this. You know, I'm just grumpy kids or whatever. Maybe it's actually just something else, you know, and that's why I think we need some more nuance about the examination of conscience and discernment of spirits to allow for that freedom to say, okay, maybe there's some fear here. 
Thank you so much, Father Pat, for sharing, especially the the personal experience of being put in countless times in that uncomfortable situation and that being like, in a sense, a minority, having just like a small taste of what it's like to not be in the majority. Um, does anyone have any other questions, Father Abuka or Officer Brandon? I almost said Father Brandon. <laughs> Yikes. Well, he's a father too. Well, he is a father. I mean, technically, yes. Yeah, yeah, you are a father. I did want to say one thing about the um the racism in the church real quick. You know, I've only been now Catholic since 2011, so nine years I've only been Catholic. So I was raised Southern Baptist, and Southern Baptist went, you know, going down to a church in South Carolina, it was everything that you see in the movies almost. The choir would come in, all dancing, rocking back and forth. You know, when people got the Holy Spirit, they was up running up and down the aisles and everything else. And uh, the, the pastor would all of a sudden just start singing <laughs> while he was preaching. It was amazing <laughs> growing up. So of course, when I joined the Catholic church, I was like, okay, where's, where's the choir? The choir's all sitting in one spot. I'm like, okay, no one's really moving the choir doesn't come into the church moving back and forth the priest does his homily he doesn't start singing even though some priests do have some good voices but yeah. no no one no one was singing i was like okay this is completely different but you know i wanted to bring up a funny story real quick so when you go to your home church you feel at home whether you're a minority or not when you go to your church your own parish you're at home sometimes i have the ability to go to different parishes because i'm out driving around all these other places i went to this one parish and I sat at the back of the church. I felt definitely out of place. I, like being an African-American, I was like, okay, I'm the only black person here, but you know what? I'm gonna sit here and just relax, get the homily, let everything just work its way out. And so when it, come to, when it came time to say, peace be with you, right? So I'm sitting in the back of the church, this old lady came over to say, peace be with you. And when she said, peace be with you, she said, lock it up to me. I was like, lock it up. And so she's sitting here doing all this stuff with her hands. I'm like, oh, she know all of the oh motions. And so I'm like, what is going on? And so she said yes. to me, she said, I'm old school. And I was just started laughing <laughs> to myself. And so I was like, that's the type of stuff that made me feel like I was welcome. Like I was an outsider going to that church, but they have someone just, you know, yeah, it was a little bit comical, but it made me feel like I was welcome there. And I started laughing. She started laughing. But it, it broke down my barrier that I had, that barrier that I had up like, okay, I'm the only black person here, I'm uncomfortable. It knocked down all that barrier I had and I felt like I was at home. I'm like, man, this is a nice church. I feel great now. I've actually went back a couple more times, but like I said, when she said lock it up and she started doing the hand gestures with me, I'm like, okay, this is, this is pretty fun. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, <dude. laughs> Okay, people, and peace be with you. We're not touching hands anyway, so. Yeah, not during this time. Elbow to elbow, anyway. That was, that, that was pre-COVID-19. Pre-COVID-19. Yes, Pre-COVID, <laughs> yes. Um, so I just wanted to say a few words to summarize. Um, and I know we're running um, a little oh, bit we're good. low on time. But I did want to make sure that people walked away with tangible ways to be an ally. Hearing our personal stories and anecdotes is a great thing. But personal anecdotes isn't really a tool necessarily that you could take with you out in situations that you might need to um, reach into your allyship toolbox. And so um, I said I was going to say the official definition of what it means to be an ally. A social justice ally is defined as a person of one social identity group who stands up in support 
of members of another group. And so Josh and I were talking about um, someone that's Hispanic could be an ally to someone that's black, someone that's black could be an ally to someone that's Hispanic, vice versa. Um, especially, but what we're talking about in this particular situation is primarily of someone of a dominant group or a majority group standing beside uh, members of a group being discriminated against or treated unjustly. And so a lot of my white friends have come to me and asked for education and I redirect them to google.com and give them key phrases to Google because personally I like to preserve my energy. Um, but do, also- Do you like I send think, them like, wait, sorry. But I, like, straight, I straight up said <laughs> google.com search this, this, and this. You send them to Google. Because- Come think, on now. And it, I know it sounds shady, but it's not, a, it's never the responsibility of the marginalized groups to have to then educate the majority group. Okay. I can lead yeah. you in the right direction, but- in the Can't make you drink the work, water. Can't make you drink it, yeah. Yeah, so as a diversity practitioner, we're always taught that that, is, that should be the norm. And the reason for that is when you do the work and choose to educate yourself, you're first taking ownership of being, of being in that process of allyship and, and not just receiving information or having someone talk at you into an echo chamber. So when I, when some, and my friends have done it and they're never offended and they're happy to be redirected. And mm -hmm. It's, it's, not a, it's just the same way if, if, if you were teaching someone um, a subject, you tell them what to look up to research and write that paper. I'm not writing that paper for you. You're doing the work for yourself to be a better ally. Sure. There are three roles that you should recognize to be an ally. You can walk in front of someone. So, for example, if, so, if you saw someone pushing someone or yelling hateful things to someone, you can stand physically stand in front of them or speak out for them in front of them that's walking in front of and i kind of equate that to being like um to like some of the people that we've seen in the bible that have walked in front of and who did that my favorite story is of jesus walking in front and almost um providing that physical even though he was very soft in how he spoke it for mary mag uh, for mary, a woman that adulterous woman sorry i'm rambling but the adulterous woman he kind of was that walk in front of ally the second role is to walk beside Sometimes if, you, if it's a protest, um, you see people walking hand in hand inside and that's that role. That shows that we're in this together. You're taking on that struggle with me. And then sometimes your role is to walk behind. Let the voice of the person that's being marginalized be amplified and you're just there as backup and support. And I feel like people think that they might have to always play that walking in front role and it's scary and you have to have a lot of education and a lot of confidence to do that but often we just need someone to walk beside someone to listen to us really really listen to us and respect our feelings they may challenge you like father pat said they may make you feel uncomfortable and that's a good thing you need to figure out why you're feeling uncomfortable right um and this is a process it's a lifelong journey Unfortunately, racism in this country has lasted for many, many years, and microaggressions are faced by Black people every single day, um, and discrimination of all types happens every day. But we are the people of the church, and our individual roles as the people of the church is to bring that spiritual aspect that Father Zuka talked, talked about, start in prayer, and then in education, and then in action. And I think if we continue to do that, even if you make some mistakes along the way, as long as you're humble and do everything in prayer, you're going to do a good job. Amen. Amen. That's um, for 
real quick and, and let's do some parting shots like some last minute things about being an ally like what we've heard like so kind of reaction to what uh Ogechi said and then I'll, I'll close this out man go ahead uh Brandon like reaction to kind of like allyship and just like what that means at the end of of what Ogechi's saying I definitely agree with everything she said I mean it's just it's, it to me it's still going outside your box like uh, the uh, when you have a white friend or, you know, someone of the other nationality, if they're there with you, it's like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta move with them. Don't just let them fall because oh. you, you think they're the dominant race and they should be doing better. Sometimes my friends pick me up when I'm down and, you know, I have to pick them up the same when they're down. But as far as being an ally for justice, ally for our faith, you know, when I joined the Catholic church, my wife is Italian and her family took me right in. They took me right in. I was a little bit nervous. I'm not going to lie about that, but they took me right in and I felt at home. So to have them giving me food, serving me, opening doors for me, it was a game changer, but I accepted it. And I think we have to be able to let our guards down to accept the help, the hands that are coming to us. Not all whites are racist. You know, not all blacks are racist. There, there can be blacks who are racist too. Not all Latinos are racist. It's, it's, they, the people get judged by the characters of other people so i think we just have to be an ally and we have to be open open for discussion and open to open-ended questions we may not have all the answers but you know as ojichi says you might send somebody to google.com if i don't know it's, it's so catchy it's so catchy <laughs> oh no man i'm always gonna say people that my name means god's time it's a good name oh, oh. Want to say it right but so how do you use it in context like Oh man! No, I don't say God's time casually. In you don't say like, "I'll get you," like you know, "get you's time." I don't well, know. Well, see, oh, that, sorry, Brandon, keep going. No, keep no, going. no, no. See that? See that was my southern accent that started coming out. So it was kind of, oh. but it had a little bit, of, it had a little bit of twang on it. So my fault. But either way, that's all I had. That's all I had to say. I mean, I really appreciate this. I really thank you guys for allowing me to be here, allowing me to come in as my my role as a first responder, as an officer. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to change what I'm doing. I know that I'm a good person. I'm a good Catholic. I believe in Jesus Christ. I know he died for us. I know he died for our sins. If I can get my partners to understand that, then I've won. If I can get someone to believe me and follow me down the good path that I'm doing, stopping this evil stuff, stopping this degrading stuff, stopping this abuse of force, stopping this abuse of power, then I've won. I've accomplished something. I've got that message out. But if us as officers are not checking our partners it's just going to keep going on a slippery slope and josh asked me a question earlier that i wanted to address see he called me earlier he said that you know there used to be the whole talk of bad apples there's one bad apple but now there's a lot of bad apples there's been a lot of bad apples and they're being exposed which is good i'm glad they're being exposed because i don't want to work with them i don't want to be near them you get those bad apples in a bunch of good people they will be exposed they will be exposed. So thank you guys so much for letting me when be here. done is darkness will always come to light. Yes. Yep. Um, so I wouldn't be me if I didn't do a quick correction. Um, you made a statement about blacks not being able to be racist. And I just, again, I'm a diversity practitioner. So it's like ingrained in me to make sure that definitions are correct. It's very much possible for black people to be prejudiced. And that happens all the time. By definition of racism, black people cannot be racist. That doesn't mean that they cannot do bad things against other races, but 
we are in the minority race. And so to be racist, you have to be a part of the majority race. I just wanted to clarify because that's often the argument that's given um, to protect people from even wanting to be part of the anti-racism movement. So no, no, uh, no. black people very much can be prejudiced, they just cannot be racist. And I just wanted to make sure that was clear. Because the, because the racism belongs to the oppressor? Or like the, the, minor, yes, the majority. Yeah, because of the history of oppression, yes, yes. But that's my could, wedding, yeah. wedding it huh. well. Fun fact. That's a good one. Don't realize. Why? <laughs> um, so Abuka, go ahead. Why? Why? Because in order to be racist by definition, and I can pull it up, but you have to be part of the majority race of that has been system that that has been a part. And we're going to talk about this mm. on Thursday about systematic racism, but if, I guess as a member of the minority race, you cannot be part of that structural racism. So people conflate mm. prejudice and racism very too often. So true. When we talk about black people doing things negatively. I noticed when I when I was talking about black people being prejudiced against Asian Asians, I never said racist because um, we're both part of the minority race and have dealt with the systemic racism that this country sure. and we again I would say topic. would it be a better way of kind of saying and then I'll, I'll pitch it to Abuka, Father Buga would it be can though those racist tactics still be employed they can be learned and they can be shown off to someone other race. So you can call it, I mean, interchangeably though, unfortunately, people use those interchangeably and they mean different yeah. things as we're learning now. But those yeah. tactics of evil are not just for the majority race. Sin is sin, right? And, and, and this is that layer for us, right? And I think that's maybe what Father Boogers might, might say is like, I don't know. Um, and we're going to find out as we talk about on Thursday, we talk yeah, about the so big racism. Nice right. So this is a segue into next Thursday when we talk about big racism and the structures of, of racism, but actually the structures of sin. And yeah. uh, because honestly, I would say that people use racist philosophies when they're combating racism, they're using racist tactics. And I, and I might get the jargon wrong, but I'm seeing the evil, I'm seeing the, the by fire with fire. And I think that's uh, that's a toxic thing that we're going to talk about. Father Abuka, go ahead. Um, I think I'm 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 going to talk about you know like a summary of what ally means, right? Is that what? Yeah, you whatever you want. It's the last. Any, we're any we're on the last point. stretch. Anything. No, well, I think um, for me, uh, again, like I said before, in the end being an ally has has to lead to an encounter okay you know because that's important mm. uh just like you know officer brandon said that you know it was only when that woman encountered him that his god would let down you know so it has to lead to an encounter and i think that's the the most important part of it and and and, and that encounter when he when when we encounter one another both parties have to be able to treat each other with respect, that I can listen to you and you can listen to me, that I can tell you my views and you can tell me your views. And we can come to an agreement, you know, not necessarily an agreement, but an understanding why I hold this view, why you hold this view, and whether that could help us, you know, break, uh, break each other's, uh, uh, break the prejudices we have. I remember listening to the uh, radio about this, this uh, black guy who makes friends with the leaders of KKK. 
he will invite you know invited one guy and he said the, the you know the guy came into his house and both of them sat down you know and they talked this guy shared his view why he belongs to kkk and this black guy shared his view why you know being uh, a black is 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 a good thing and he should be alive and he should not be discriminated eventually he had to you know eventually with his friendship he had to get about three of the leaders out of their kkk gang why because he was able to you know give audience to this guy and they were able to give audience to him both were able to meet each other at a point of encounter where they heard each other and their barriers were thrown down and that was that the best part of being an ally father pat well i i can't imagine that i'll ever forget the uh the positioning dynamic that'll get you outlined for us the because it speaks so warmly to my my Irish heart and the St. Patrick's breastplate prayer, you know, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ above me, Christ within me. You know, it speaks beautifully to that. I think it coincides very neatly. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely walking away with that one. Um, uh, future homily material. Um, the, yeah, I think that, um, you know, to, to be a Catholic, ally um you know in in the major in the majority towards all those um in my flock especially you know that uh aren't um you know aren't coming from the same place you know um there are there are lots of many moments of, of this kind of encounter that you know father Ebelcut talks about this happens back to back in different ways in you know the confessional box. No, not breaking the seal here, not telling tales out of turn. You know, I, I like my faculties. I think I'll keep them. You know, but uh, you know, we we experience souls coming from very different levels of catechesis. You know, um, on the other side of the screen, and it would be very easy for me to just kind of assume or dismiss and say like, ah. Oh, you know, they don't know or whatever. Um, every single one has to be treated, you know, in a unique fashion um, with the same kind of striving for the kind of outpouring of love that Christ would have. You know, this is, this is, this is the key. And this is the universal that does not gloss over or dismiss our differences, but that we're all trying to be more Christ-like, that we're all trying to like incorporate his, like, you know, his response, you know, in charity. Um, man, that's challenging and convicting. Um, and I, I'd say rebuke the fear, you know, to all those who are seeking to be, you know, like myself from the majority um, and seeking to become allies, you know, who, who need to, go deeper in the self-educating department, you know, to put some skin in the game, to respond with our whole selves. Like you, you know, were inviting us, um, Ogechi, to, you know, go Google and beyond. Um, yes. Read. I, audible, hashtag. Audible. <laughs> I will send you audible promo codes if you need them. But Can yes. you make it free? Because you have okay. to subscribe to Audible, pay audible, back, audible. and then pay for the book. Come on audible. now. No, you get Stop you that. Stop that with Audible. Sponsor. This is not sponsored sponsor. by Audible. <laughs> Amazon. These, 
talk about oppression, like these guys are racking up the money. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> they, yeah, um, taking over the world. So, folks, um, and just parting shots with me, like I think of compassion and just what the word compassion means, right? Compassion, like the Latin word, like to suffer with somebody and to be empathetic. It's like yes point them in the directions of good sound resources yes absolutely but then there needs to be accompanied with that a ministry of accompaniment ministry of encounter because that's what does it for me with even our lord if we're a christian in the christian sense right it's like where do you get your cues from yes christ did you know verbalize the scriptures back to the people and then said haven't you guys heard or wasn't, didn't you guys know that it was written? Right? Like, so yeah, I, I equate those, but then he also says, walk with me, do this with me. Like there is an element of that. I, um, I don't want us to excuse ourselves from the table. Um, I don't want oh, Latinos. Right. And no, no, oh, no, no, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Right. Like for me, I'm talking to myself a little bit here too. Thank you. That you like, I don't want to excuse. Like, I know I married a beautiful Minnesota white girl. Like there's, there's an element of us like, honey, we can't excuse ourselves from the table. Like I'm learning things about how I dialogue with other races. I'm learning things about myself. I, I have a duty. I ought to do something, right? Whether it's just calling my, my friend and saying like, yo man, how are you? You know, mm. um, or, and being pissed for a second. And like, there is a righteous anger. Anger will cool, but the system's, um, unfortunately are still in place and we got to figure out a way to do that. And I'm not saying we have all the solutions. So for all my uh, races out there for us, like Latinos, especially like we can't excuse ourselves from the table. Um, and we got to talk about it. So whether that's uh, church pop uh, sharing one, one article about what's going on about like, you know, of, of saying something, speaking into the void, speaking to the mic, the mic's dropping too much and it's not saying anything. Uh, we need, uh, you know, we need dioceses to speak up and bishops to stand out. Uh, and, and coincidentally, uh, our bishop in ADW, uh, Wilton Gregory, said, you know, spoke into the void a little bit. And, and that was beautiful to see, bringing that presence. So, uh, Ogechi, thank you so much for facilitating. Folks, uh, anything for Ogechi, I uh, want to clap it up for her, you know, because, you know, you can't see the snaps and the claps. Ogechi, any, anything else? 20 seconds, it's all you. Um, just stay tuned. Um, the next part of this will be on Thursday, same time. So in the same space, Facebook Live. And we actually, um, Josh, um, you know, we may not know this, but we're going to do a summary blog post. So stay tuned for that. Just because some people are readers, they might need links to resources that we Who's are referencing. <laughs> um, myself. <laughs> and so stay tuned for that because that... Um, will be something that you can take away with you as well for more information. Thank you. So thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you learned something and um, meet us again on Thursday. Thank you to the panelists, especially for thank taking you so the much, time fathers. and being honest and Brandon. raw. Thank you. Thank you all for organizing this. Uh, uh, Father Buka, can you uh, close us out with a final blessing, please? In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Oh. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We Thank you for your love for us. We ask that you continue to inspire our hearts with your love, with the spirit of love, spirit of unity, and spirit of oneness, that it may become contagious, and all your faithful people will spread this love all over this nation, all over the world. 
We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Holy Ruckus Podcast, your favorite podcast, favorite podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Um, anchor.fm on Spotify. Now go ahead and do that. Write us a review, guys. Let other people find the ruckus and the holiness that we're striving for. We need it more than ever. Uh, Subscribe on YouTube at the Holy Ruckus. Do your thing. Be informed. Be loved. Be loving. Bye-bye. See you guys. Thanks, guys.